Welcome to the now-playing Terminator Retrospective Series. What is your mission? It is Judgment Day for the Terminator films as we at Now Playing watch and review the entire movie series. You can't do that. These conversations will be spoiler-filled critiques of the Terminator films, and as the films are R-rated, there may be harsh language as well. Today we're discussing Terminator Genesis, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Clark, Amelia Clark, no relation between those two. Or is there? <laughs> Jai Courtney, J.K. Simmons, directed by Alan Taylor. This is the now playing co-host whose mother encouraged his smart acidness, Arnie. This is Marjorie. I want to be sedated. It's Seward in L.A. Well, you may have to be sedated, depending on your feelings about this movie. I know Terminator Genesis is a polarizing one. And man, we had for years discussed the now playing curse. Whatever we touched turned to shit. Yeah, we had stopped it. Until this year, we never really had to pick up old series. Certainly one this old. We did Terminator 1 through 4 way back in 2009. It has been six years, folks. Yeah, I went back and listened to those old shows. It was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> They're what, like 20 minutes long, no plot summaries. <laughs> We're all over the map. We don't even try to tell you the story. They were an hour long. I could see us kind of like a T-1000. We weren't in full cop mode, but we weren't the gelatinous puddle we might have been during the only two retrospectives we'd done before that. Friday the 13th, where Stuart was on a cell phone. If they ever make another one, I don't know if you'll have to break that out for audio continuity. And then Star Trek. We had revisited Star Trek, but that was much sooner than Genesis. Mm. You mentioned Star Trek, and I got to say, yeah, I was thinking a lot about that watching this movie. Not just because we recorded those shows way back when, but because they kind of do a similar thing here. Paramount decided to... Hit the reset button. I don't know if what we're discussing today is a sequel, a remake, or a reboot, or kind of all three. It really is. But I have to say, and this is important, having gone back and listened to my old reviews, I'm going to take off my clothes here. Uh -oh. Okay. He really is taking off his shirt. It's just <laughs> kind of funny for him to struggle and keep the headphones on. Oh, pants are off. Okay, this is, this is getting weird. I have to go back in time to 2009. <laughs> and tell my past self, what the <laughs> fuck were you thinking recommending Terminator Salvation? <laughs> oh. I think a year from now, I'll think it's fine. And a year from, I'm, I, we're going on record today. A year from now, you'll never pay it as much attention as you did today. And I that's would a feel, good thing. I would feel bad if based on your recommendation that someone else goes and spends $10 on it in the theater. But I, hey, they've heard this podcast. They've heard me rip it apart. Then they've heard me say, if you have nothing better to do and 20 bucks burning a hole in your pocket. What the fuck is that? No, don't recommend this movie. This is Arnie from 2015. You do not want to recommend this movie. Trust me. <laughs> Salvation is shit. Just keep telling yourself that in a mirror. <laughs> Salvation is shit. But 
I might like it better when I watch it again in a year. You're not going to watch it again in a year. You won't. Trust me on this. Do not recommend salvation. It's going to be your downfall and the end of humanity if you do. All right. Will naked me put some clothes on, please? And no, I, I don't recommend salvation. I'll be pushed over that line. All right, I'm back. And all the things that were wrong in history have now been righted. I wish we could do this for a lot of franchises. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that good. It was so old that I had to go back and rewatch all of them. I assume you did that too then, Arnie. I have seen the first three many times in the past six years. I went back and watched the extended cut of T2. T1 was on TV recently. The one I had to make a point of rewatching was Salvation, and something made me avoid it like the plague. <laughs> I finally went back about two weeks ago to watch the director's cut, thinking, maybe the director's cut made everything make sense. It didn't. It was just a little added gore. It was basically an R-rated cut. And my God, that that is not a Terminator film. I stand by yes. everything I said in that show. It's a fine, morbid sci-fi but it's not a Terminator film. I just don't stand by it. I was right on that line. I don't know why I w w went on the recommend side of that line when this is, should clearly be the not recommend of the Terminator series. Yeah, I went back. It wasn't that it was bad. It's just that it's not a Terminator movie. It's not good either. Let me stress. It's in no way entertaining. I was really bored both times that I saw it. It has no connection to your emotions, I gotta say. But more strange than that was how they relegated John Connor to, like, a background character, and it was all about some dude named Marcus and cancer research. It was, why would you do that? I mean, let's make the episode seven about somebody on Cloud City that has to mop up after the stormtroopers or something, <laughs> right? Let's just take side peripheral detours from the stories we love to tell backstories of characters we don't care about. Who? concocted that. I have to believe there must have been a rights issue or something. I guess they were dealing with the fact that they didn't have the star of the movie, that Arnold was governor and he was beyond his Hollywood career and there was nobody to have a focus point because Arnold's gone. But they fixed that problem here, right? I mean, that was the one thing I guess they felt like they had to, to get back to their roots, to make a proper sequel. They had to go back to the original hardware, who's not particularly hard anymore. <laughs> Arnold's back, for better or worse. I think you have to have him in the Terminator movie, though. Yes, he's the Terminator, but I think you need him in the movie for continuity. He's the one thing that even though the, you know, Sarah Connor has changed now and John Connor has been different people all along and it's always Arnold. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's, I guess it's what they're kind of doing with Star Wars, too. You know, they're going to get Harrison for this new one. Whether he continues, I don't know if Arnold wants to be Pops or if we really want a trilogy of Pops, but to make it authentic, where they're at with this franchise is they still have to appease the old fans, but clearly they also want to be reborn, uh, tell a new story, get that new millennial generation that does not care about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I recently asked somebody at work what their favorite Arnold movie was. She was in that demographic, you know, early 20-something. Want to take a guess? Kindergarten Cop? Close. Jingle all the way. That oh. was the one she knew. She grew up on that. I was like, oh, well, that says everything. Yeah, that was his bad period of movies. <laughs> I, I have a soft spot in my heart for him. I don't know, because I guess I grew up with a lot of his action movies and then turning into comedies and things like that. So I've kind of got a soft spot in my heart for him. 
Yeah, I, p- people do. I don't have that soft spot. I admit this; these Terminator movies are gold, and he's great in them, at least the first two. I, I went back, and boy, those are unassailable. Terminator 1, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, those are just great popcorn entertainment sci-fi movies. They deserve their rep, and they wouldn't be half the films without them. I give him those props. The rest of his career, mm, maybe Total Recall, maybe a couple other ones. Last action hero I like, and there's quite a few, I mean, Red Heat. Oof. I admit there were some missteps. I consider Jingle All the Way one of them, although that's an <laughs> eminently watchable bad movie. <laughs> it's probably better than the sequel with Larry the Cable Guy, maybe. That I refuse to watch, and it's why we'll never do a Jingle All the Way retrospective. Oh. My dog did something in the yard that was better than Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> now my holiday plans are ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, just because I've recently redone it, uh, kind of go through the timeline again. I remembered how I felt about the movies, and that largely stood the test of time. I Everything that I said about how I felt about the four movies, I stand by. But what I didn't remember is its take on the future and how each movie kind of looked at the ability to manipulate fate and destiny. Can we just kind of go through the world just to lay it out for people that may not have seen a Terminator movie in a while like us? Not only am I wanting to do that, I'm fully prepared. I wrote my own timeline, and then Entertainment Weekly did this hysterical article where they whiteboarded it. They literally had a whiteboard and put post-it notes on it. And I'll tell you, by the time they took Terminator Genesis at the end, it's actually asking things like, when did Wolverine meet Stryker? (laughs) 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 well i i haven't picked up that issue but it that sounds like a it sounds like something i needed it's i felt i had to do it at returning to this franchise knowing that they were picking up i felt like it was a necessity to kind of remember where we were at so if there had been no time travel if that never gets introduced it's pretty simple we can start there 1997 Computers just decide to say, fuck it, something called Skynet makes computers sentient and they automatically launch nukes against us. They start a machine war, but 32 years later, it's put down. I don't think it's that simple. You can't ever have the story and say, if there was no time travel, because time travel created Skynet through the leftover arm. Yes. And... Time travel created John Connor, so it created both the enemy and the hero. In the first movie, yes. In the first movie, they make it clear that it's a a concrete loop. That's what I like so much about the first movie, is it basically says that the future is unchangeable. As hard as you might try, you know, you can build a time machine and go back to change things, you're actually just playing into the plot. There's no way that anything you could ever do will influence destiny. Destiny always wins. And yeah, that's the first movie does send back a T-800, right? That's Arnold's number? T-800, model 101. It's a little confusing in that regard. Okay, yeah. But he's going back to assassinate John Connor's mother. Therefore, he'll never be born. Therefore, he'll never stop Skynet. And the resistance leaders, John Connor, he knows who his father is. He sends back his right-hand man, Kyle Reese, to stop that T-800 and in the process impregnate Sarah so that John Connor can be born. Now, we don't know when or how more Terminators are sent back. But in Terminator 2 and Terminator 3, Skynet does send back two liquid metal assassins. 
a T-1000, and a TX, and they're going to try to kill John Connor as a tween and as a 20-something. And they both fail because rebels somehow get T-800s, they reprogram them as John's protectors, and they send them back and stop them. Although one of those programmers mentions to John that he's going to kill him in 2032, three years after Skynet is defeated. Right. And Skynet is never stopped. What we really get the sense about, even though Linda Hamilton thinks at the end of T2 that the future is open and so many roads. I don't know. She's got a lot of words there. (laughs) Sarah Connor talks too much. But uh, (laughs) the point is that she's wrong. She dies of cancer and Terminator 3 tells us that you can influence some things. You can delay Skynet. But basically, the major things that are going to happen in history are unavoidable. That Judgment Day just basically moved from 97 to 2004. But nukes got launched, robots started the war, things proceeded exactly as they did, just in a different set of dates, basically, from the original Terminator outline. Yeah, because each one of these movies, I mean, no one's ever going to end Skynet. We know that. That's just the way it is. It's never going to happen. So each one of these is just an attempt to stop it, and you have to except that the end is never going to happen as a viewer, and you're just seeing a snippet of the battle. Yeah, it's not unlike how we treat other countries getting the nuke. You know, we just kind of delay it. You know, we know eventually everyone is going to have the recipe to make a nuclear bomb on their iPhone. But we just try to keep pushing that timeline, (laughs) kicking that can down the road. And basically, John Connor still lives... So he can still save the day. It is still going to basically happen in 2029, thanks in part because some yeah, hybrid named Marcus gave him a, a heart transplant. I think that's the only <laughs> thing that's relevant about salvation. Also, Kyle Reese was rescued from a human camp. These characters that impacted the first movie and, and the first timeline so importantly, they're still alive and they're still going to do what they're going to do as we get to this film, which is July 1st, 2015. Can we call this Judgment Day? Because this is the day that the new producers really blew up all of the first four films. It's gone, guys. It's gone. It's not gone. They definitely got rid of three and four. I was looking at this because when this movie starts, we're in 2029, which is when Kyle was sent back originally and They all think Judgment Day was 1997. So the start of Terminator Genesis is in the same timeline as parts one and two. Okay, yes, I agree. The beginning, when I was first watching this movie, the first 20 minutes, I'm just like, oh, they don't want to call it a remake. We're just doing it from the future side. But this is essentially the first movie as told by Kyle Reese. It's kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey. Now we're going to get it from Grey's side. But it's the same thing. Although in the original, I went back and because there's a lot of callbacks, I rewatched specific scenes in the original after seeing this. And there's nothing from the future from anybody's side. You just see a tank roll over some skulls and some laser beams. Yes, exactly. They didn't have the money to do it. And maybe they didn't have the inclination to really spend the time on it. The important stuff 
was, you know, back in the 80s. It was all about 80s paranoia. It was all about nukes and nuclear annihilation. And yeah, it was a slasher movie. That was what that original wanted to do. So I am curious, how much are they going to get back to that vibe? The answer, not much. I was not prepared. I'll just go ahead and say that. I was not prepared and needed to take a breather and really think about how I felt about them wiping out the timeline. By the end of it, nothing that matters. If you've never seen a Terminator movie, you won't appreciate the skill in which they've stuck this new movie into the history. But ultimately, the history doesn't matter because these characters that we thought we knew, they're going to be played by different people and they're going to do different things. Well, you say that and I agree. I don't know that if you haven't seen the first movie, you may not have needed to see the second one. It helps. But if you haven't seen the first movie, I don't know that you can appreciate much about this. This is like a reprise, you know, it's like a complete callback. And I don't know how much this would appeal to an audience that is coming in cold and this is their first Terminator film, or if they've only seen Salvation, God help them. Well, I, I think if my audience is the judge, the answer is no millennial wants to see this movie. They're all off watching Inside Out or something because, yeah, there was nobody in my theater opening weekend. Admittedly, it was an afternoon showing, but come on, guys, opening weekend Arnold movie, it's the same crowd that was there for him back in 91 in my theater a couple days ago. Well, at least they came to an opening weekend Arnold movie. I mean, let's remember, he did do The Last Stand, which even I haven't seen. <laughs> and then Escape Plan, which I did catch on HBO, and isn't that bad. <laughs> that was actually kind of a fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to never find that out for myself. But... Yes, audiences haven't turned out for an Arnold movie is what I'm saying, Stuart. So now I did see this movie twice. I went opening night to a 3D 10 o'clock show. I'll state right now, I didn't, the 3D didn't thrill me. And I expected it to be packed. There were a lot of stragglers coming in late, but they were all college age. I was probably the oldest person in the theater. Huh. And then we saw it again on a Saturday matinee, 2D this time, looked just as good as the 3D, maybe a little better. And that theater was half full, half empty-ish. Mm, I would say it was a quarter full. It really was not that full. There were like seven people in every row and we could seat 20. So yeah, a little less than half. And this time the crowd was very diverse. There were some kids sitting a couple seats away. Kids, I mean, 20-somethings. Oh my God, I'm old. <laughs> and... They obviously knew the Terminator film. They wouldn't stop talking. But they hadn't seen a trailer for this movie, judging by their holy shits that came out of their <laughs> mouth at certain points. Yeah, I, I had some old people that did that. There was actually a guy when Arnold's name came on the credits, he was like, oh, he's still in this? <laughs> what brings you to this theater? I think he was going with his son. You know, it's Fourth of July weekend. You're with family members. You drag people along that wouldn't have normally gone to the movie. I think it was probably someone that watched it on HBO back in 1985 and hadn't thought about it since. I saw it in 3D IMAX, and I think it was pretty good for 3D. I mean, I, I noticed it more in some scenes than others. My opinion on 3D has largely been unchanged for years, and that is it's an unnecessary flourish that can be kind of fun in certain action scenes. And it was kind of fun in certain action scenes. But whether you should pay the $20 I did to see it in 3D IMAX, I guess oh, you'll have to wait for my recommend. 
Yeah, the bus scene is pretty much the only thing that looked good in 3D in my mind. Well, Arnie, why don't we just get into the plot? You can tell them what they saw. We can try to parse out Terminator Genesis. Okay, I'm just going to assume familiarity with the first two movies, lest I summarize three movies in this. This last one's hard enough. It's 2029, and the war between man and machine is almost over. The humans, led by John Connor, now played by Dawn of the Planet of the Apes star Jason Clark, the fourth actor in as many movies, fifth if you count Sarah Connor Chronicles. Man, that's an ugly dude even without that scar. <laughs> While the main offensive is to destroy Skynet once and for all, John, armed with knowledge of the future given to him by his mother Sarah Connor, takes a squad including his best friend Kyle Reese, played by Jai Courtney. <laughs> Save it! I think my vocal inflection says it all. So John and Kyle go to another location where Skynet is trying a last-ditch attempt at victory, sending a T-800 back to 1984 to kill Sarah Connor. John knows a human must be sent back to stop the Terminator, as it always has been. And Kyle Reese is the one to go, as in 84, Kyle would father John himself. But once Kyle enters the time machine, a new form of Terminator, played by Doctor Who's Matt Smith, attacks John with a glowing white hand that kind of looks like Extremis from Iron Man 3. I had that in my notes. <laughs> they gave him Extremis. <laughs> he can hang with Gwyneth now. <laughs> when Kyle and the T-800 arrive in 1984, it's a different 1984 than we saw in the first film. See, somehow, and the movie's not going to tell us how, a T-1000 was sent back to 1973 to kill Sarah Connor as a young girl, and someone else unknown sent a T-800, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, to 1973 to save her. Sarah's parents were killed, and she's now been raised by the T-800, who she's nicknamed Pops. So instead of the soft Linda Hamilton waitress from the original film, this Sarah Connor, now played by Amelia Clark, is a pistol-packing mama who saves Kyle from a T-1000 sent to 1984 by people I don't know for reasons I don't know. So after Pops, Sarah, and Kyle destroy both the T-800 and T-1000 in 1984, they tell Kyle their plan. Pops has built a time machine. And they plan to jump forward to 1997 to stop Skynet's launch. But Kyle has a new memory from this alternate timeline, and he remembers Skynet going live in 2017, not 1997. So he and Sarah strip down and jump to 2017, while Pops is to take the long way, living for 33 years stockpiling weapons and preparing for their return. They do return and find that the Skynet launch is actually called Genesis. Not the game console, but basically an evil version of iCloud. Or a more evil version of iCloud. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you feel about iCloud, it might actually be an upgrade. <laughs> but this links your phone to your computer to your car. But they're surprised to find in 2017, John Connor. He came back to time in 2014. See, the thing that attacked John was Skynet in a robot Terminator form. And it's transformed John at a molecular level into a Terminator, albeit one with all of John's memories. John was sent to 2014 to ensure Skynet's creation, even if it meant killing his future parents. More, John is working at Cyberdyne Systems, helping to develop a time machine and the liquid metal that's used to create T-1000s. Massive battles ensue, J.K. Simmons runs around for comic relief, but in the end, the three heroes trap John in his unfinished time machine. Pops holds John down while the quantum field tears them both apart, and detonators blow the entire Cyberdyne complex to hell. 
Pops is seemingly dead, but his skull and torso were thrown in free into a vat of the T-1000 liquid, giving Pops an upgrade. He, Kyle, and Sarah ride off into an unknown future as credits roll. So there's a lot of time travel here. Basically, you know how they're liking to mash up series. There's the rumor that Men in Black and 21 Jump Street are going to become a franchise together. Or, you know, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys or on... Aliens versus Predator. Yeah, yeah that one. <laughs> That's a curse word to me. But yes, I'm aware of that. Yeah, even on sci-fi, I saw Lake Placid versus Anaconda. This, I feel, is one DeLorean away from... T- Terminator meets Back to the Future. Well, kind of, but as the future changed and people's existence was taken into question, no one started disappearing from photographs. So we have that. (laughs) True. But yeah, there's a lot of alternate histories and future histories. They are really taking the Terminator franchise, which while creating paradoxes that like to screw with your brain, had really been a fairly simple time travel story, as you pointed out, Stuart. And with this one movie, all of a sudden there's alternate realities, multiple futures. It is very Star Trekian all of a sudden. But keep in mind that every single action that happens causes a wrinkle in the continuity. Yes, but it never really did before until Terminator 3 kind of fudged it. But it's not until this movie that they're like, there's alternate futures and multiple futures and everything's changeable and butterfly effect. I don't like that conception. I really still think my favorite is the first movie because it just said the more you try to change things, the more it's set in stone. And that to me was simple, effective and powerful. Now it just feels like, oh, we can do whatever we want and uh, we can uh, give characters you thought you knew and loved a horrible, horrible downgrade. Uh, (laughs) Starting in the beginning of this movie, as you mentioned, Kyle Reese. Hey, I think he'd be great if he was in Magic Mike. I mean, he's (laughs) really good at stripping down. He's really in shape. I'll give him that. You know what? It's funny you said Magic Mike because in this movie it hit me. If you squint and are myopic, He kind of looks like Channing Tatum, and I have to believe his entire career is Channing won't take the role. All right, let's bring in this guy. (laughs) He's like the B-list Channing Tatum, and Channing actually got Magic Mike, so here we have Courtney in Genesis. He's less charming than Channing Tatum. I don't think Channing Tatum is good looking, but I think he's a good actor, and he knows how to do comedy. Yeah, he's got a charm, He's and physically fit, and this guy... Is physically fit. Yeah, there you go. He's got some muscles. You know, he's also starting a really great career trying to resuscitate moribund 80s franchise in their fifth installment by partnering with the original star who's now too old for this shit. I mean, he did this exact same thing in Good Day to Die Hard. Yeah. All right. I really looked towards the character fidelity here, you know, trying to see, like Star Trek 2009, did... Chris Pine play a Kirk that's true to Kirk. You don't have to emulate William Shatner to be Kirk. God forbid. But are you a Kirk that's Mm Kirk-like? But then you have Carl Urban, who's going to impersonate DeForest Kelly. So I'm just looking, are these characters continuations of the characters? If not, you know, obviously they've been recast. And the worst of them all is Courtney as Reese. I had seen Terminator recently. First of all, they didn't even get the hair right. I mean, I loved Reese's big, poofy, product-in-it hair from the 80s. But nothing he delivers here, 
especially in 2029, makes me think he has the passion of Michael Bean. But here's the problem. He does like the passion of Michael Bean, where Michael Bean had this mission he had to complete. This guy's like obsessed with John Connor. And it's like John Connor is his god. And I kind of expect him to, as you wish, John, that kind of stuff, because he just seemed obsessed with John Connor. Regardless of if he was making the wrong decision, this guy's like, I will time travel. I will die for you. I will do it for you. It's this weird deity worship. You know, he's horribly inarticulate because John knows why he's sending him back. He knows very well this is his father. But Reese does not know the role that he's playing. And so John puts him on the spot. He's like, I got a lot of guys that love my mom. Like, why should it be you? He's so bad at this job interview. I mean, he completely <laughs> flops, right? He's like, uh, you know why? Uh, I die for her. Like, yeah, they'd all die for her. Uh, I don't know. She's, I got a photo. They are nothing like the war boys who would die for Morton Joe. Yeah, he lacks conviction as an action hero. And certainly if they're trying to make us think about Michael Bain and the original actors that played that, it's not going to stick. But that I'm not that criticism is not going to be limited here to Jay Courtney. I feel that way every time we see someone from the past and they've been recast. Well, we'll talk about him as we go through. I'm going to say my biggest compliment to Courtney here. Both times I watched this film, I hated him in the beginning. And both times I watched this film, by the time we get to 2017, around midpoint, he's not annoying me anymore. No, he's not doing anything. Uh, what, what will be <laughs> miraculous about this movie is how it starts off being that this is an important mission that he must complete. And by the end of it, who even cares if he's still hanging out? It's all about Pops and his daughter. Well, no, he needs a semen. I don't think they ever screw. They yeah. don't, but they need... To, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, talk I, about I it. think you're wrong on that. I actually think in the world that they're creating, John Connor is never born. Or is John Connor always born? Ah, it hurts my head, as Jai Courtney says in this film. But yeah, we start in this 2029 seeing what we'd never been able to see before. It was shown, well, I guess, kind of Terminator Salvation. And here is how I know Terminator Salvation has been stricken from the history books. This whole thing is narrated by Kyle Reese doing the Sarah Connor-like voiceover, and he's so bad at it. But what he says was the first time he met John Connor, John saved him from a Terminator, and Reese thought Terminators couldn't be killed. This completely invalidates anything in Salvation with whatever that other Terminator's name was and how he and Reese were bonding in a Marcus. prison camp. Yeah, Marcus. How can you forget Marcus? I'm trying to <laughs> erase that from my memory banks. Oh, it's gone. Don't worry. And everything <laughs> else. But that's one that no tears are shed for. But you, you point out, Marjorie, why would anyone follow this John Connor? I agree. There's something creepy about him, which works for the later half of this movie. But I actually find... You know, it was spoiled. I want to put it out there. One of the horrible travesties of marketing this movie and in trying to tell people that they still needed to care about a Terminator that had twists and surprises is they spoiled the biggest twist they got in this bag. And it's a real shame because it's a good twist and I don't think I would ever would have guessed. But having seen the trailer and knowing that John Connor was going to end up a liquid metal Terminator bad guy, I'm watching for that here in the opening. 
Yeah, it was in the trailer, but even more, because sometimes people miss a trailer, and the director did come out and say he was pissed about that trailer doing it, Alan Taylor. He should be. But then it's also on the poster. I noticed when we were going back in, the poster has all the main characters, and right in the middle is John Connor, half human, half Terminator. Yeah. See, I I missed it in the trailer, so when he showed up in that hospital when they were arrived naked on the freeway, which... You know, happens to everyone once in a while. But I leaned to Arnie and I just whispered, he's a Terminator. And the, I didn't hear you because the kids on the other side went, holy shit. Okay, then. <laughs> so you guessed it. I don't know that I would have or I don't know when I would have. But here at the start of it, I'm thinking he's evil from the get go. I'm thinking this is an evil plot. It takes me a little while to realize what the final weapon is. I didn't realize we were going to tie back to the first movie and that it was the time travel device. But once I find out that we're there and that a T-800 has already gone back and that Reese is going to go back, I'm thinking that this guy is also going to go back and that he's got an evil plot. I just think Jason Clark, he doesn't look like the army leader of the future to me, but... But he was an army leader of the future in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Kinda. He was a scientist. Who led the people under also underneath the bridge in San Francisco. He keeps getting cast in these roles, though, for reasons I don't know. Zero Dark Thirty, White House Down, you know. But in Zero Dark Thirty, he is not a necessarily a full-on military guy. He's a torturer. And he plays that calm, almost like parental role really well, where he's like trying to reason with you and you don't listen to him. And so you end up in the hot box. I, I think my beef really comes down to, and perhaps this is unfair of me, but his face is doughy. Even though he's got a lean body, he's not very muscular, and his face does not look like one who's seen combat. He looks very well cared for in the skin, despite what fake scars you put on him. So whenever they do a close-up of him, I just think this guy is not living the rough life in the future. Even Courtney pulled it off better. Yeah, the reason why I give him more of a pass than Kyle is because I have no iconic association for John Connor. All apologies to Christian Bale, but I don't think we've ever seen a definitive portrayal of John Connor. There's not one image of him in my mind that says, oh, that's him. It's He's either that bratty kid or that dirty 20-something or Christian Bale yelling at the grips. But I never have really seen John Connor for John Connor. He's always just been a background character. He's always been the MacGuffin. And so if this is the guy, this movie, okay, I I don't care. But Kyle, I got to say, that one is distracting. See, I think Edward Furlong is the iconic John Connor because he's from the most successful movie in the franchise. He's the one everybody knows. And admittedly, they would have done themselves a favor to get Edward Furlong back because everyone wants to see him beat up now. <laughs> okay, don't laugh at my vision of John Connor, guys, but in T2, in a flashback, they show a guy that's supposed to be John Connor, and he looks like John Walsh from America's Most Wanted, and so that's who I always envision as John Connor. Someone with that, like, grizzled face, you know, the hard-set lines, and the military haircut. They tried to do that here, but it's clearly makeup, and uh, quite frankly, I don't know why it doesn't go away once he gets grabbed. The big surprise they have is as Kyle is getting into the machine and floating away in the magic ball of light, we see Doctor Who come up behind (laughs) John Connor and basically infect him with nanobot. All right, let's talk about this now. I know that the movie's going to draw out what happens here. 
But I, I want to get into this, you know, as the movie yeah. goes, not as it's revealed. I think that's important. Okay, so in 2029, the army just brought down Skynet. But later, we find out that Skynet has made himself a robot or a Terminator. He's personified in some way. Did he evolve? Perhaps. But where did he come from? I don't think this is 2029's Terminator. I think this is yet another alternate timelines Skynet that has come here. I mean, we get a flashback later on because we see him grabbed at this scene and then Kyle's off to 1984. But there's a whole bunch of other military people around. And second of all, we later see a time machine can handle more than one person. Why didn't they just send back an army? Get like eight soldiers in there to go against the Terminator. No one said that John Connor was a good leader. Actually, everyone said John Connor was a good leader. But it's proven not to be. <laughs> well, they didn't know. Admittedly, it takes some balls just to get into a machine that you've never seen work before and be like, okay, I, I lightning's going to strike my naked body and I'm going to be back in 1984. Sure. I, I think Kyle is the guinea pig. <laughs> But this is when Skynet reveals itself, and later we see a flashback. Skynet kills all the other troops there, except John Connor, who's laying on the ground. This infection process isn't quick, and it isn't painless. And you see Skynet talking to John, and he goes, I've come a very long way to stop you. Come from where? Mm -hmm. A long way. I mean, he obviously didn't just come from Colorado and the Colorado Offensive on the mainframe. The TARDIS. Yeah, he knows so much about the timelines. He knows how everything has gone down, and he keeps saying things like, you always do this. So he's seen more than two timelines. He has seen endless loops of time that I think is going to be more explained later on. But the way he keeps speaking so authoritatively about what always happens and fate is going to make things happen. It's just inevitable. He's seen it happen again and again. One of the things this movie says is time has momentum. John Connor says this later on. And that while details can be changed, things will continue to happen. I think Skynet's seen maybe 200 of these cases where Skynet loses, and hence why it's evolved, as Marjorie said, into this concept and why it's taking on this totally new tack. And perhaps this Genesis isn't necessarily a Terminator as we know it, but maybe something that can move through the folds of time and see all these things and not necessarily a being in one plane of time like we're used to. So maybe we have to suspend reality. And I think we have to suspend reality a lot with any Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, you're, what we're all having to do is speculate because, of course... This has been conceived as a trilogy. We can't have all the answers in one film. No, 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 no. Not when we can collect 40 more dollars from you to tell you eventually. But yes, unfortunately, you have some good theories, Arnie, but I have no idea what Matt Smith is other than a humanoid embodiment of Skynet that, yes, grabs John Connor here and appears a little bit at the climax of this film. Yeah, seeing it twice, I have analyzed and overanalyzed his lines. Plus, I've seen interviews with the producers and the writers, and they specifically say they know Matt Smith is from an alternate timeline or an alternate dimension. And they say they know who sends Arnold back to 73, and they're hopeful that they can tell us. So yes, that's what happens at that moment, and it creates an alternate timeline. So somehow... Matt Smith grabbing John Connor, 
created something that happens elsewhere to send two Terminators back to 1973. And how they knew where Sarah Connor's summer home was is really confusing because in the first one they said all records were destroyed. But maybe in this new timeline of the future, the records weren't destroyed because it was linking into every cell phone's address book. Did you catch the reference for the Big Bear Lake cabin? No. What what was it? That's actually a callback to the first film. If you recall when Sarah called her mom, when the Terminator was looking through her address book, you saw the address Mom's Cabin at Big Bear Lake. Very cool. I had no idea. Now I wonder if like the next one is going to go like all Back to the Future 3 and we're going to end up in the 1800s to kill her great-great-great-grandparents. Well, they got to be careful. I, I thought about this a lot. Is The reason why they don't go back and do that... I mean, hell, if you're going to use that logic, go back and kill the first man as he's crawling out of the, you know, ooze (laughs) and just say, done, there'll be no humans. They can't risk stopping their own creation. They are the children of humans. Therefore, they have to mostly preserve history as it's told. They risk destroying themselves if they change too much about the past. Possibly. But yet, they're more than happy to change the past. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I think they're only risking going back 30, 40 years. That's why I don't think you're going to get an Old West Terminator movie. I hope. Fingers (laughs) crossed. I mean, I'm not certain about that. But yes, I do think at some point in a sequel, we will actually understand what the hell we only get from really distracting flashbacks of a girl underneath a pier. One of my least favorite things about this movie is that we're told that, okay, there were more Terminators that went back and stopped an assassination attempt or attempted an assassination on Sarah when she was nine years old in Big Bear and... All we get is her underneath the pier looking up at Arnold. Uh, We will never understand more than that if we stop at this movie. And I really want to understand how they, in 1973, stopped a T-1000. I didn't see any magma at the lake house. I didn't see any acid at the lake house. T-1000s are pretty damn hard to stop. Yeah, good point. Yeah, we talked about that in T2, that we just didn't think that there was anything. It basically is nearly indestructible, which is why you would want to send back a T-1000. The fact that they keep sending back Arnold's is just (laughs) hilarious to me. I'm like, you guys got to send the good one. But they don't have a good one. They have to deal with what they can capture on the battlefield. So they've got him, maybe a few of them. I don't know. But that's, you know, the rebels don't necessarily have the top-notch equipment. My question for you, since we're talking about the house of things, is that we knew that Arnold and a T-1000 went back to 1991 or, or whatever it was, the mid-90s. 1994. Yeah, exactly. John Connor needed to be a little bit older. He had to at least be 10 there. But are these the same ones? We never found out who sent Arnold and Robert Patrick back to Terminator 2 Could, in an alternate timeline, instead of going back to the 90s, those exact same robots go back to the 80s or the 70s? I was wondering if every Arnold was the same Arnold, because we saw in previous films that not all the T-800s were Arnold. But then we did see in Salvation that they were Arnold, but... But I don't think Salvation exists now. No. Yeah, let's stop talking about Salvation. (laughs) My, My point is, I wonder if both... T-800s that came back were the same T-800, and I didn't think about it until you just mentioned it, I just figured there's a load of T-1000s. As we never see Robert Patrick, then I don't think 
it matters if it's the same T-1000 or not. The one that matters is the Arnold from 1993, the Arnold from 2007, the Arnold from 1973, all the good Terminator 800s. Are they the same? Who knows? I, I don't think so. I actually think that we, the T-1000 could be Robert Patrick as well. And you say, how did they stop in 73? Maybe they didn't. Maybe he's been chasing them for this many years, and that's why he's there in the 80s. Because I have no ah. idea why he is an Asian cop uh, when Kyle Reese gets to 1984. Well, have you seen Robert Patrick lately? <laughs> Yeah, I just kept calling this guy Asian Robert Patrick. He's got the Robert Patrick glare. Yep. He's got that lean, wiry, scary physique. And yeah, he, at this point, would be better than Robert Patrick. Well, I've reviewed him before. He was Storm Shadow in the G.I. Joe films, which kept making me think, oh, there's two G.I. Joe people here. Him and Channing? Oh, that's not Channing. <laughs> Well, I guess I never considered that maybe that's the same T-1000 and chasing them all these years. Obviously, they have a skin on the T-1000s that doesn't age because it's not human skin like on the T-800. That's Arnold, yes. which explains, you know, the fact that he looks like my dad in age. So maybe that's possible. And it, I guess it could be possible that maybe the T-1000 thought he killed Sarah Connor in the cabin explosion and then found out later that didn't happen and they've been on the chase ever since. And then it, now it's turned into kind of like Firestarter. Yeah, 11 years on the run. I mean, we do know that basically Pops, let's just go ahead and call him by his namesake in this movie, Pops is basically going to take this nine-year-old girl and turn her into the woman that she wouldn't become in the timeline we know until after the first Terminator, that she becomes kick-ass much earlier in her life. So I suppose that, yes, she has been running and fighting and shooting a T-1000 for 11 years and has been waiting for the moment where she gets to kill the T-800 that came back to kill her and meet Reese. Yeah, that makes more sense because we saw the T-800 come back in time. We saw the big glowy ball of electricity. And might I just add, the biggest compliment, my favorite thing about this film is the way Alan Taylor lovingly recreates those scenes from the first Terminator down to the garbage truck that opens the post-credits of Terminator 1. You get the garbage truck and the T-800 shows up naked and then walks over and looks over the Los Angeles area. I think that the new punks are no Bill Paxton, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, you could say that it's a loving recreation and then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you're like, ouch, that's not what I remember at all. That's the danger with playing with nostalgia is when you don't recreate everything, there's glaring omissions like Bill Paxton. But they did it in such a way, I thought it was more of like a tribute and tying it together versus the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Look, this is what you used to like, and we're taking it in a new direction, but we're putting this in there to make you think that you still love it, like they do with some certain sci-fi franchises. <laughs> Remember, you like this. You really like this. This is why you like this. Now watch this piece of crap. I think it's a wise to start the movie this way. I'm glad that we don't spend the whole movie replaying Terminator with them, you know, chasing them through the police station and all that. They, they knock out T-800 at the Griffith Observatory. That's amazing to me. The you don't need clothes and they just take them down here. That was a shock. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't either. And I really like this. And I got to give them serious props. 
they pasted Arnold's face onto another guy so well. And I was reading behind the scenes. They were measuring people. They knew Arnold's bodybuilding measurements from 84. They found somebody within a quarter of an inch of all the body features, every arm, pec, and then they digitally pasted the face on an amazing job. It's like you have young Arnold back. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty convincing effect. And I mean, this is the kind of thing this is built for, right? Old Arnold versus young Arnold fighting each other. That's exactly the metaphor to take here. It's like, how is Arnold going to compete with his former self and his former glory? How is he going to win? The answer is he needs help. He <laughs> needs a spunky little Katniss Everdeen to come in and spear T-800 in order to truly defeat him. Yeah, their fist fight is not a very good effect. <laughs> There's a lot of CGI going on and it never feels real when the two of them are punching each other. But yes, old Arnold, he's aging in the skin. I'll go with that explanation. As human tissue, it can age, sure. But this whole movie, I got something really big from this, especially the second time, is this is Arnold's version of Red. I'm so used to Bruce Willis playing the I'm too old for this shit action hero. But this is Arnold's time to do it, and it's, again, the baby boomer mentality. The people who were young adults when the first Terminator came out are now feeling old, but damn it, they're the ones with the money. They're not obsolete. <laughs> and I think this does it better than Red because Arnold teams up with the youth versus what Arnold knows is right and what the kids do is wrong the entire movie, but... It's that same premise. I think this is really trying to appeal to the retiree set and to the 20-something set by having the cast it does and the way it tells its story. Yeah, It's trapped by that. I don't actually see that as a creative choice. I feel it's the bind of this movie is how do we go forward without Arnold? I think they'd love to dump him, but they know that it wouldn't have the same appeal, particularly after Salvation. And so they have to use the iconography that worked for the first two cultural landmark Terminators, but you know they wish they could just focus on this new Reese and this new Sarah. You know that that's where they, they want to have the movie. But they have no chemistry, and there was chemistry between Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean, and these two people have nothing when they're on screen, it's dead. I, I don't necessarily care for her as an actress. Mm -hmm. One, I thought she was a little girl because she's just, she looks very young and she acts young. And I don't know what age she's supposed to be in this movie. 20. I thought she was like 14 or 15. It feels that way. And I think we're meant to think of her that way. Yeah, she seems so young. And I don't like her acting necessarily because she was very slack jawed and wide eyed when I feel she just, she just couldn't emote more than that. And that was the problem. But I don't know that these two will ever work on their own because neither one of them can act well and they certainly have no chemistry. All right. I'm going to differ from you guys on this one a little bit. Amelia Clark, I have not seen Game of Thrones, but after seeing Terminator, I really want to. I think <laughs> she's a good actress, what? but miscast. I think, you think that she's hot. Yeah, he just wants to see her boobs. Yeah, let's be honest here. She's a very cute girl. You don't want to see her do Chekhov or Ibsen. You're not going to go to the Broadway show where she shows you her emotional range. <laughs> I want to see all of her emotional range. <laughs> yeah, he, he wants listen, to see the emotional range of the double Ds. Listen, I 
do think that's the problem here is, you know, I've been watching a lot of Amy Schumer lately and they had that 12 Angry Men episode where the big question was, is Amy Schumer fuckable? I really think that was the casting choice that went into Amelia Clark. They don't care. Can she play tough? They care. Will young men want to fuck her? And they get an A plus for that. But I think she also in the close up shots looks a hell of a lot like 1980 for Linda Hamilton if Linda Hamilton had too much collagen injected. <laughs> I really felt like this was another one where I just can't go with it. I'm, as much as I felt about Reese, the same thing with her. There's no Linda Hamilton in this at all. This is some chipette. This is some spunky little firecracker. This is hit girl, but this is not Linda Hamilton. And it's not just that they change the character. I actually like that concept. I like the idea that who we thought we were going back is changed, is gone. I mean, that gives us something fresh to explore. But what we have here is not necessarily likable or endearing. I think that when she's yelling things like move soldier, she's not working. When she's reconnecting with John later on in the movie, when she's having her love scenes with Kyle, I thought she did a really good job there. She kept reminding me of Topanga from Boy Meets World yes. for some reason. But <laughs> Yes, I, I'm with you on that reference. She feels freshly scrubbed, tween, Disney, and that's what they're wanting the audience to be. That is exactly what they're going after, and it is messing up my vibe with my conception of Sarah Connor. It, I don't feel, even if she had trained for 11 years with Pops, I don't feel like Linda Hamilton would have turned out this way. This feels like something else. I think the problem is they cast a Terminator 1 Linda Hamilton when this role called for a Terminator 2 Linda Hamilton. And again, because of the fuckability scale, they just wouldn't have the balls to hire a badass tough bitch. Yeah, you're right. That's that's what I'm missing. I'm missing something more masculine, less overtly sexy, and more just aggressive. Linda Hamilton was sexy in Terminator 2. Some people thought so, yes. She, I agree. she was. James Cameron certainly thought so. Yes. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she's a, of a certain type. I mean, it was stripped of femininity, and that was startling. It was a transformation, too. You know, I, I think it would have been nice to have spent more time, again, why couldn't we get a little bit more in Big Bear in this movie of seeing the innocent girl and then maybe what she's become? Yeah, they're certainly not stripping her of femininity when the tease shot is of the silhouette of her breasts. No, not in this movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely not in this movie. She definitely did need to be more badass. I would think 11 years training under a Terminator, you would have some muscles, you would have some know-how as far as guns. She knew her way around guns, but she was just very soft and... Yeah, she'd lose the baby fat if she'd been training 11 years. Yeah. She looks like, you know, an actress that has said, I'm going to play this part, watch the Terminator movies, put on the outfit, and is trying her hardest. But that doesn't earn you the rep of it. And I think that's what it is. It, 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 she's not comfortable in the skin. It feels like a Halloween costume. See, and that's why I say it's just miscasting. I think she did well with what she was given. She never should have been put in this part, but I legitimately want to see more of her. <laughs> I don't doubt that a bit. Uh, of course you do. That's why you want to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I would prefer... Uh, not to see her again as Sarah Connor. True. I just think there's other franchises that she could excel at. And like you, you mentioned Katniss. 
And yeah, she kind of has that Jennifer Lawrence kind of vibe, only without the toughness. Yeah, J- Jennifer Lawrence actually has an entirely different persona when you see Hunger Games, but the character is the same. I, I deeply believe that right now Hollywood believes if you're going to put a teenage girl in something, she needs to have a bow and arrow. And that they're going with that type because they know it makes money here. And so, yeah, we have Katniss Everdeen and Magic Mike pretending to be <laughs> the characters that we know. And it is it is obnoxious. And I don't get any thrill from the cleverness of flipping the script. You know, when she comes and saves Kyle by busting through the department store and come with me if you want to live, isn't it funny that she's saying it and not Arnold? I'm not laughing about that. To me, that's about as satisfying as if they, like, If this new alien movie that they decide to make up, they're going to have like Sigourney Weaver as some mutant that busts out of the chest of a xenomorph. And now she's saying, you can't get away from me, bitch. I mean, who wants to see in jokes about good movies? I'd rather just see the good movies. Me, I want to see in jokes about good movies. To me, that's not my sense of humor. Like referencing is not humor. It really isn't. But it gives me that nostalgia callback. And it puts a twist on it. Listen, I guess even though I feel the casting is bad for our two leads, other than Arnold who gets top billing, somehow, (laughs) for clearly what's a supporting role. By the way they do this 1984, they've won me over and I'm having a good enough time that the callbacks still seem to me like the twist, like the T-800 versus T-800 fight. It's like that kind of a callback. It's not a family guy, ooh, I made a reference, now you laugh kind of thing. But it makes sense since she spent over a decade with the T-800, that was his line, perhaps he still has that programming. Well, that was his line in a future that hasn't happened. Maybe he said it in 73. Maybe in its, maybe in his programming, though. Yeah, you're right. It could be. Maybe my whole problem is simply that I'm old and I remember things a certain way and they're trying to tell me to remember something differently. That's hard to do. When you have an iconic presentation of something, uh, to have it recast, I mean, this feels, at this point, this feels like a remake with inferior actors. And I'm just struggling with that. I really think you got to go outside, Stuart, because those kids are on your lawn again. <laughs> and I accept that. I am exactly who I am, and I have a right to feel this way. You do. This is my franchise that you're fucking with. Uh, absolutely. And you know what? We're probably going to ha- be having the same conversation around Christmas this year <laughs> when a certain movie comes out, and I want the damn kids off my lawn. I am not opposed to new generations taking over franchises that have fallen by the wayside. But I do feel like if you're going to bring it, you better have your A-game. You better be James Cameron. You better have what Linda Hamilton had. You know, it's troubling when the best performer here is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, well, J.K. Simmons actually wins. Well, he's not here yet. No, no. I'll give you, he's fun later. So I'll agree, but just disagree with the feeling I'm having. I mean, we had this discussion with Star Trek 2009, and we had this discussion very recently with Mission Impossible 1 about how they try to modernize franchises for the audience and how the old audience compares to the new audience. And yes, I think this happens to everything we love as we get older, if the franchise is to continue. And yeah, if this was Star Wars, I might be a little butthurt, but I don't hold Terminator as precious. So I'm okay with this retread. And I'm just saying, 
already by going back to 1984, doing what they've done, given the fun retellings of certain key moments. I mean, not just the T-800 fight, the way Kyle Reese robs the pants off a bum and then runs from the cops and then hides in a department store. But now he's fighting a T-1000. I'm enjoying it. And so while I agree the casting is bad, I'm having a good time. Yeah, I think you can go two ways with it. You can either go with the flow or you can fold your arms. And I'm, I kind of am doing both. I, at one hand, I don't want to go here. I want to make it clear. I don't want to do anything that this movie is doing. If I could hit stop and leave this movie theater, I probably would because I just don't want to play this game. But since I have to, since that's what I've been asked to do, and since I'm hoping that it will open up the possibilities of a new sequel, then I, I will go with it. You know, like my hope is by going through this retread, if they can, in fact, change the future, it, it means that what they're going to do next won't be copying Terminator and Terminator 2. Because right now, we're just getting both of them mashed up here. Somehow, the liquid metal Robert Patrick is here in the Terminator scenes. And it's like a mashup that, yeah, we're, it's predicating on our nostalgia. But I don't feel like any set piece we see here is as fun as either of the two movies. I just want to make that clear. I don't think the action, the fun, the department store, any of this stuff holds a candle to the first two movies. I completely agree with you on none of it does hold a candle, but in regards to the Terminators, we have to keep seeing new and improved Terminators or else we're going to lose our interest. I think by using the T-1000s just as regular with the T-800, because when Terminator 2 came out, everyone's like, holy shit, there's a new kind of Terminator. And I think that we just need to keep saying that. And I think that since they've wiped three and four from the history books, basically now, bringing the T-1000 into these early scenes shows that, hey, this is how it's always been. It's been these two. It's good. And that had my hopes up that we we're going to see a new kind of Terminator. And we did. Yeah, we get Indominus Rex here for sure. But <laughs> yeah. Uh... And, and so I think that that's part of my love of the Terminator series is the badass fights between Terminators where it just goes and goes and it's metal clanking and grinding and arms flying off and shit just flying everywhere and they're hitting each other with like eye beams and shit. Love it. Love, love, love Terminator and Terminator action. Just to get a pulse on everybody, you're enjoying it, Marjorie. You're enjoying it, Arnie. I'm not certain. At this point, I'm still enjoying it. And it was pretty good because I felt they weren't insulting me as a fan mm -hmm. of the series with the homages to the original. And there are some cool fights here. And I love one change they make, or just not a change, but something we didn't know. The T-1000s, in addition to being liquid metal chameleons, also help repair the others on the field. They have a T-800 on the ground there, the one that was killed by Arnold before he got clothes. There's a hole blown in his chest and his face is ripped open, but one drop from a T-1000 and it repairs him. That's kind of a cool thing, because if you think about the 2029 battles, you take one out and then somebody else comes along, one drop of fluid and the thing's back up. It really escalates this fight, and they do a lot of callbacks to the end of Terminator 1 here. Instead of Sarah Connor and the machinery, it's Kyle Reese underneath some put-together tables or something. I'm not quite sure what they were on, but with the Terminator on top poking through, that there were two simultaneous battles, Arnold versus the 1000 and Kyle versus the 800. I was having fun. Yeah, but I mean, again, I feel like when something is always referencing the past, at some point, you're just like, well, why don't I just go watch the thing in the past? I don't feel like this stuff is better. 
than what got done. You know, to have her faced with two Kyle Reese's where it used to be two Sarah Connors, you know, one uh, liquid metal and one a real one. And guess which one's which? Is that clever? I don't know. I don't feel like it's anything more than a greatest hits album. I already bought this album 20 years ago. But I consider this a strong foundation to tell a new story. They're paying respect to the old one. They're doing a montage of the first two films, completely ignoring three and four, all smart moves. And then they're going to take it in a new direction. If this was the whole movie, I'd be pissed. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'm feeling. I'm not pissed is too strong a word, but I'm feeling like I hope this is not the whole movie. And the good news is it isn't. They will stop this referencing in 1984, and they will get to a future, our future, two years away. 2017 is where we're going to go for the second half of this movie. And I'm very grateful that they attempt to to do that. I, I recognize that they needed to go back and reassure people that this was still Terminator by doing Terminator things. But honestly, the more you try to make me think about the past, the the less likely I am to embrace what you're doing. You got to be creative. You got to bring something new. And that's what I'm lacking here is I'm seeing a remake with inferior parts. One thing that always bothers me in time travel stories, and it's really the case here, is the rush to time travel. They take out the T-800 and the T-1000, and they needed the T-800's memory chip to power the time machine Arnold built. There's no circuitry in 1984 good enough. And now they must immediately jump into the time machine, but Sarah and Pops think they need to go to 97. Kyle says, no, no, it's now 2017. I'm like, why not go get a cup of coffee and talk about it? (laughs) You're not in a hurry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, later they make that nerd joke that I think is very apropos. What do we want time travel? When do we want it? irrelevant. I mean, yes, you have time. You can take all the time in the world to decide the best. Why can't they stop Skynet in 1984? Like, it seems to me you don't need to go to the future if all the elements that are going to create the future are right here today and in front of you. I mean, they could just go find the people. They could find Dyson right now. Yeah, there's two things they could do. They could find the people responsible for Skynet, kill them when they least suspect it, because I guarantee you Miles Dyson's probably not expecting it at MIT in 1984. <laughs> yeah, he's a gawky, like, freshman nerd or something like that, yeah. trying to get a date at a kegger. Pow! It's over. Two, the other way they could stop it? Don't have sex! Don't get pregnant, Sarah Connor! She didn't. I, I actually think that they tell us that. They didn't mate. I want to be clear. This 1984 world that we're in, there's no waitress Sarah Connor off somewhere else. It's not like in Back to the Future 2 where they go back to the 50s and there's two versions of themselves. This is the only version of Sarah Connor in this timeline. And she's this badass since nine. And yeah, she's not having sex in 1984. That's what I was wondering. Is Sarah Connor a virgin? I would kind of think she is. Quite possibly. I know that you're thinking about these things, Arnie. (laughs) But, okay, if her and Kyle Reese never, ever, ever have sex and never, ever have a baby, then there's no John Connor. No, I think what we're told here is that this John Connor is lost in time. He is a, a remnant from a different timeline. And in this world, there was no John Connor until he inserted himself. So how he did that, how he got to this version 
from the other one, I don't understand because they're withholding that part of the story in the future about what happened to John Connor and how he got to the part where he is now. See, there are a lot of theories about time travel, but one of the most prevalent is taking the Back to the Future theory. If you travel back in time and your parents stop having sex, you don't wink out of existence. You don't right. just disappear. You would stay there. And so, yeah, that John Connor from 2029, because he traveled back to 2014, no matter what, he'll still exist. I mean, think about, they go to 2017. If they have sex in 2017, John Connor's 12 in 2029. The way that I took the rest of this movie is John Connor has never been born in this world. And that what we have is the enemy. You know, she'll eventually say, that's not my son. This is not connected to me. She hasn't made the choice to be with Reese. That is sort of her arc here. And I do like that, is that here's a character that's been told what to expect in the future. I mean, talk about a parent that, you know, has got rules. You must do this at this time. We must be here at this point. We have to do all of these things. She has no free will, and so she never gets to choose what she wants to do. I do like that this movie ends up being about her creating a, a future where she can make her own choices, even if it is to sleep with this lughead from the future. Yeah, that's the thing is, I think she's making her own choices, but throughout the movie, we do see them fall in love. And again, her performance sells that to me. I think that in <laughs> really? the- yeah, I don't feel her performance is any stronger than his. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't no. feel like either one of them are, is very good here. Well, keep in mind, when they get to 2017, I start liking Jay Courtney a little better, too. Okay. So I kind of go with both of them in this love story. And I think even though they may not want to have that John Connor, I think that eventually, either in a sequel or just never, but in the future of this movie, they still will have sex. She still will get pregnant. Will he die within 48 hours? Because she wants to fuck him. But what she says is, we sleep together and 48 hours later, you die. Yeah, that's what I feel like that's her holding on to a concept that isn't going to come to be. And she right. just hasn't accepted that that's not going to be. Well, she's been raised, as you said, from age nine to think there is only one path. So this is her learning that there are multiple paths, and yet she'll still make the same mistake and sleep with Kyle Reese. Yeah. And you know what? Kyle gets a couple moments here. I, I We're hard on Jay, and I think he deserves it. I just feel like he's the wrong energy for the part that he's playing. But he gets some funny moments. I mean, I, I laughed when in the department store he's being handcuffed and led away. He kind of gives a silver mannequin a glare. As they're getting the time machine, he says something like, I know how time travel works, you know, and as he's dropping trowel, you know, like – like I said, he'd be funny in a in a dude comedy, but the fact that he's supposed to be important, that all goes away. I mean, he's emasculated here. By coming back to a woman that doesn't need him, he's got to be feeling like, why did I bother? And yet it's really his story. I was surprised how far down in the billing he was when this story is almost exclusively told from his point of view. In the future, we're showing his point of view. In 84, we follow him. When Sarah and Pops leave the screen, we're still following Kyle. But he's a nobody. That's why he's so far down. Yeah, I agree. He's He works because he's anonymous. I mean, honestly, his 13-year-old self is more important to the rest of this plot than he is. 
His 13-year-old self is the memory that he has of Genesis. And yes, there's no way I couldn't think about my memories playing Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Genesis does what Nintendo don't. It was a very <laughs> popular, actually, it was never a very popular game console, but it was very beloved by me back in the early 90s. Actually, it was popular, and it was thanks to House of Pain referencing Genesis and jump around. It was the console to beat for a while there. It was the better version to Nintendo, but they just didn't, I don't know, they didn't have the lasting power. I was thinking the same thing when young Kyle Reese is opening a box and it says Genesis. It made me think of that console too. I'm like, yeah, let's break out some Sonic the Hedgehog. Sega! (laughs) (laughs) I would have been down with that, but uh, no, it's an app. And I guess guess that makes sense for 2017, that Skynet would be an app. You want an apocalypse? There's an app for that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, it's dumb, right? On one hand, when you say it out loud, it's like, well, that's really stupid. But on the other hand, I guess that's probably how it will come. Someone will develop an app that controls all the machines and it will develop consciousness and kill us all. And what can we do? Yeah, because it's everywhere. And what does make my head hurt is Genesis, because... It's an app. It's basically the cloud. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's coming down through the cloud. Everyone's going to get it at the same time. You don't have to go to a store and buy it. There's a countdown for it's just a couple days away when they get to 2017. But all it does is link your devices. It isn't anything of itself. And yet, for some fucking reason, the U.S. Department of Defense is like, yeah, let's plug that into our missile system, too. (laughs) I that is really crazy. I got to say, even though I admit that it's we're in a world where we're close to this, that is really bold that they're going to put it on the same network as like somebody that's playing Candy Crush. <laughs> Look, they've made some, you know, bad mistakes in the US military history and Department of Defense history. So, who knows? I think that they're Nuclear launch codes aren't on the internet. Let me just hope. Not the codes, but the actual method of entering the launch codes isn't on the internet. But that's one. Two is, how does Genesis become Skynet? Was it always going to be Genesis in this timeline, but John Connor coming back has programmed in Skynet code? They call it a Trojan, so like a virus in the movie. Not like the condom that Kyle Reese should have used, but... Is it that because personified Skynet Matt Smith sent John Connor to 2014, he's now perverting Danny Dyson's Genesis into Skynet? Yes, that's, okay. that's exactly how I take it. And I do love this callback. I had forgotten that, you know, yeah, Dyson was a part of Terminator 2 and his son was there. He was playing with like remote control cars or whatever. In this future, he's grown up to be Steve Jobs, I guess or Steve Jobs Jr., that they're both these successful entrepreneurial Silicon Valley kings. They've developed a software that is, yeah, going to be used universally. We, we live in a world where that is true. I don't know why they have a side business with time travel, but who knows about Apple? They probably <laughs> are working on that. Well, it's because of John Connor. I mean, yes. he's come in and given them all this code to make Genesis. And he's also like, okay, and we're also going to have some R&D because I'm such a genius that we're going to develop time travel in T-1000s. Yeah. Remember, Dyson was a part of why the Terminators were going to be built and Skynet was going to be built anyway. And so if you take the Terminator 3 logic, it's still happening. It's just 
happening further at a different point in time. It's been delayed, but not altered. And so Dyson had gotten as far as he could without having seen Arnold's arm. And then you have John Connor popping in and saying, oh, well, here's the technology of that arm. But I really like that part from Terminator 2 where they had this under lock and key. They didn't know what it was. They knew it had these amazing materials in it. And they were trying to research to see what it was and what it could do versus some guy coming in from the future who's really good at coding from the future and making it all happen. I really like the fact that we had essentially caused our own destruction in Terminator 2 because of advancement and curiosity. Yeah. Here it's being implemented from a future evil computer. Yeah, and I don't really care for this part of it too much. It's iffy. The Skynet stuff, I mean, we're basically into Green Lantern, The Amazing Spider-Man Part 1 territory now. It's not for this film. It's set up for the next film or films. And it pisses me off because here it's unexplained and it's really not important. What this movie is going to become is Sarah Kyle and Pops versus Terminator John Connor. And that part is actually kind of fun in a Terminator on Terminator way, like Marjorie described. But whenever Skynet shows up, First of all, it's a little creepy. I don't know that Tim Cook would show up at the developers conference and say, our iPhone 7 wants to talk to you and then have a creepy child that says, we're changing the future together. Oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> I don't think that this would be so popular if that was the mascot. I just want to say I wouldn't want that app if that was <laughs> what the app was going to look like or, or to speak like and they did this in resident evil the evil little girl was the voice of the computer i mean here it's a little boy but i do think every word in this is loaded the boy says we'll change the future together and people take that as his tagline when in fact he's saying yeah we're gonna make it so skynet wins yeah and you know the metaphors are here again it's how I think of this movie. On one hand, we have this almost obsolete Arnold Schwarzenegger. On the other hand, we have this vaporous child audience that they really want to go after, but hasn't quite shown up for the franchise yet. They're trying to make everybody happy. And the thing is, with uh, trying to please everyone, sometimes you please no one. But it sounds like they're pleasing you. I enjoyed it when it was an action movie. And the time travel, some of it I can buy. And some of it I'm kind of like, all right, you know what? You're you're really pushing the limits of my belief here that I can buy some of this. Because and it also seemed very time travel heavy. A few times it did give me a headache when I'm sitting there trying to think, okay, I need to go this. And I feel I need to watch it again and just have fun watching it to try to get some of this. Yeah, the second viewing really helped me both to understand what it is and what it intentionally isn't telling me. And I had a much better viewing experience the second time than I did the first, and I think for much the same reason. The first time, I'm like, what the fuck? And the second time, I'm like, all right. Yeah, I actually, as, as convoluted as the second half of this movie is, I think I get it. Basically, our new Terminator is Transcendence. Uh, Johnny Depp did <laughs> this exact same thing last year in a much worse movie yes i wanted and i <laughs> yeah let me yeah before anyone mistakes this is doing it so much better but transcendence did it first there must be papers about this that at some point we're going to have these nanobots that change us at a cellular level and we will cease being human and so now that's what he wants right he just wants mom and dad and him to all exist in the same way and they're they're like no we're aborting you we're never having you and we're going to stop you. 
And it's kind of funny, you know, at some point he gets a little militant. He starts sounding like Linda Hamilton did in Terminator 2. I think they use some of those same lines, the way that she talked about men and being destructive and women are creative. I think he's saying that about humanity. Humanity is technophobic and they won't accept a, a better version of themselves. That's at the point when Arnold busts out the shotgun and is like, you talk too much. Yeah, and later on, and earlier on, he gives two speeches right from Terminator 1. Before Kyle jumps back in time, he gives Kyle the speech that Kyle would recite to Sarah in the first movie. But also, later on in the film, when John's attacking, he says what Kyle said in the first film about a Terminator. It only is like, I won't stop, you know, all of that. But here's my real iffy question. There's a line earlier on, right before they're about to attack the time machine in 2029, where John looks at Kyle and says, I want you to know, John, if there was another way, I would have taken it. Does John not like the life he's had? When they reprogram him on a cellular level, they retained his knowledge Mm -hmm. and they seemingly retained his personality. Was he actually won over into the cult of Skynet or was he controlled? I don't think that's made clear whether he's being puppeted or if he really believes that this is better. At one point, he says he wants coexistence in the future yes. with a happy family. Maybe he's just being really Machiavellian. And he's like, yeah, let's bring up Skynet, but let's not have the war. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you've gotten it. I, I think that ultimately the real truce between man and machine is when they cease to have any difference between each other. And that is what John Connor is offering. Nanobots make humanity cyber. I took it as the weird pasty Doctor Who guy took over his body, made him a Terminator with this new cellular level Terminator thing, but controlled his mind and just used his body. I think we'd like to believe that because we want to always believe that machines are malicious and have evil intent. I think this movie is asking us to think about a future where we could be machines and be cool with that. It could go either way. I really don't know. I think this might be another hook. I'm not convinced that this movie's the end of John Connor. And I I mean, as played by Jason Clark, but we saw this before with Salvation. That was also supposed to start a trilogy. So I'm not convinced it'll happen, but I also think if it happens, if the producers continue the story that they've started here, we're going to find out more about John Connor's motivations. They make the point here, John Connor is better than Pops. I mean, they have this fight here at the hospital and John Connor is kicking ass. You don't have to spend eight hours in the gym and build all those muscles. With this nanotechnology, you're instantly stronger. Cures your scars. Yep. Keeps you young. You can be whatever you want. It's uh, instant cosmetic surgery. I mean, there's a lot that's appealing about it. They've yet to make me scared of it, though. I got to say, Transcendence and this movie, I'm just not afraid of nanobots. That just... It's kind of silly, you know? I I just don't think it's a scary concept. It's worth pondering, and I like that they're bringing a new idea into what has largely been a movie about nostalgia and old ideas, but I can't say that John Connor is scary to me. Well, I'll say that this is the first new Terminator since T2 that I like. I found the Terminatrix to be somewhat dumb and a downgrade from a T-1000. It was. I don't really give a shit about Marcus at all. And this one, though, it's kind of T-1000-ish, but the fact that it can bleed blood, but then it becomes these nanobots that come back to it, it's a 
cool update to the visual effect and the fact that he has that skeleton underneath that he has human musculature and human skeleton he's the same as us he probably has intestines but they're all nanobot he's a biological creation but every time you hurt it the nanobots inside him recreate those cells so it's just like you're the best of both worlds that's what he's advocating and so i don't think it's crazy you know they mentioned something about every time they've given people this stuff they've gone crazy and so we're supposed to just think this guy's a maniac that wants to kill his parents but i think there's a logic to it big hero 6 had a nanobot subplot also with nanobots swarming over and taking over people oddly enough that was the scariest version of them of the three (laughs) yeah i don't know that i like this new terminator i mean they had to evolve but i i understand why they do it because i love seeing the new terminators it's fun for them to improve but i don't know that going from the t-1000 and the tx which are the two most advanced that we knew through this point which the tx was just it was a girl and i don't know that she was that much more evolved than the t-1000 i think the fact that it was a model and that was retrograde let's face it i mean yeah. that was going back to sexual politics that were way out of date exactly and i don't know that it seems like there would be something in the middle there i think that's marcus okay <laughs> we'll move on yeah no debate about marcus i'm really worried about terminator genealogy sorry <laughs> No, I I think that's the neat thing about this franchise is that if they must create a new Indominus Rex with each one, what's it going to look like here? I I agree with you. It's the most conceptually interesting one since T2. I think the problem is I don't think that he's scary. Like these battles when they're in the hospital and he gets sucked in the MRI machine or whatever, I... I'm like, oh, so we just need to get a magnet and we can just suck away him into a pile of dust. That's an easy fix. But he does keep coming out of those magnets. I mean, it slows him down. It doesn't stop him. I thought it was a cool visual effect when he's walking away from the MRI machine and he's trying to reason with Kyle. The one thing he keeps doing for at least half the time in 2017 is trying to recruit Kyle and say, remember, we fought together before. I thought you'd be smarter than this and fight with me now. But why? What's the point? Survival. Yeah, that that we can never have a man-machine war. I mean, the idea is that it, it will be unnecessary to kill each other. We can all be the same. There is a lot of hippieism in all of this. I mean, there is a, a unit. You just have to be brave enough to say, okay, change me at a cellular level. And the one thing he does say in this movie, which hits, is when he's talking to Sarah, he goes, you taught me to survive at all costs. This was what he had to do to survive, and that could be why he was the one success. That Arnold T-800, he's from a future where he's seen this happen. Who knows what future? But he says all the other subjects died. Probably all the other subjects resisted. But John Connor is a survivalist at all costs, which doesn't make him a good guy. This is the first one where John Connor isn't our Jesus savior. It's... I'm going to survive, not humanity is going to survive, and this is how he chooses to do it. I find that interesting. I really, that is the conflict. I wish the movie would have given me a more definitive answer, but I kind of like the movie asking the question and making me think about it. We're on the same page. Like I said, it is the most intriguing idea in a movie full of old, musty, retro ideas. I'm glad that there's something new here, but largely it's cloaked in retro action scenes. I mean, I feel like we're back to just 
seeing action that we've seen before. We get a bus chase, not dissimilar from the car chase in Terminator 3, and hanging off a bridge. How many times have we seen this? Lost World, Amazing Spider-Man. I feel like I've seen this a ton of times. And maybe you can only do so many certain kinds of chases. I think what I'm really saying is I'm not into these chases. I didn't care for the bus chase. It felt extraneous and it felt ill-justified, you know? Yeah. The, it, it just is a chase to hold us over till we get to the next chase. It also has the one joke in the movie that doesn't work for me. Oh. It's when Arnold is thrown from the bus, goes face first into a police car, and goes, nice to see you. I'm like, that, that doesn't make sense for a Terminator to say. No. Yeah, no, yeah. You didn't even have to tell me what you were referring to because it is. I think everyone is just going to groan when they see that. It's the most strained callback. Terrible. But a joke that did kind of work for me they get arrested and they play bad boys during the mug shots. And then you get this Arnold smile. Now, it bugs me that they took this from T2. I had recently seen the director's cut and saw this Arnold bad smile joke. Does it count if it's a deleted scene that was later reinserted that you can then take it as a joke here but it was funny yeah it's also a character trait that arnold isn't doing so well with his hand we've seen him loading ammo and and having some kind of palsy it it both serves as yes arnie's funny please still like him because he's better at humor at this point than he is action and it also (laughs) just reminds you that The debate is not through, you know, is he old or is he obsolete? Both. Let's be honest. (laughs) Now, what I can't figure out is why the T-1000 is in this 2017. When they're finally arrested and hauled in, it's there as an Asian cop lady. You missed it. That was John Connor as the Asian chick. Huh? There's a transformation scene, because I also thought it was a T-1000, because it was an Asian chick shooting everybody, but... Then you get to see the nanobot transformation and it becomes John Connor. Oh. Okay, so it was not the guy from... That That T-1084 did melt. It didn't last. It didn't jump into the future. Th- this is John Connor. Okay. Yes. And this is where J.K. Simmons really gets his moment. He's come in. He was the cop who was in the department store with Reese back in 84. He's lived 30 years. Somehow he moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco. That's not unreasonable. No, yeah. no. He just happened to be there in both places. Again, maybe it's always was. Maybe he's <laughs> followed the robot conspiracy because that's the thing about him is that ever since that brief exchange, Kyle is gracious enough to try and actually explain what's really going on instead of saying, you know, shut up or run. He's actually like, oh, no, they're robots from the future. They're not space aliens. And so maybe he went to Silicon Valley to see if he could figure out where these robots are coming from. I really wish they had given him a bigger part and it would have been a thread all along through the movie where this guy is chasing this thing that happened, you know, 20, 30 some years ago, kind of like an X-Files kind of thing. And I really wish, because J.K. Simmons is a great actor, as everyone knows, and I think he did a really good job, but I really wish that this would have been woven throughout the movie where he's trying to figure out this one experience he had in his life, because I think it'd make more sense then to dump him in three quarters of the way in the movie. Well, we could get rid of Reese and use him. I would be fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, he's fun here. I mean, he's not much more than comic relief. I think what you guys are saying is we want to laugh a little, and Arnold's smile isn't quite making you crack up. I like the smile. I was laughing every time he smiled, all three. He reminds me of, like, 
a goofy father. And that's exactly what they were trying to pull off. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, not subtle. No, it was the corny dad and having a corny dad. It worked and it made me kind of giggle. My father's extraordinarily corny and it was okay. I kind of bought it because they left his hair gray and they let him age instead of making him up, which I think was plausible. That's actually his real hair. If he didn't dye his hair, that's what it would be. Huh. Or that's what it is, or that's what it will be. It's all very confusing. It's staggering. I gotta say, seeing him this way, in a way that he's never allowed the movies to show him before, it was a little off-putting. It's brave. I'll give him that. Arnold, it's brave of you to to go into the franchise that you made your name and, and look the way you do at this point. I mean, some stars would have been too vain to allow this, but he went for it, and it, it fits the plot they're telling, and... I think my problem is I've just never liked Arnold in comedies. I Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Jingle All the Way. I, I hate all of them. I like two out of the three you named. I, I don't think he's funny. He was phenomenal in True Lies. Okay. Hey, not quite a comedy, but I'll agree that was his best comedic performance. He had some comedy in there and he, he did, did it pretty good. And the difference was he had someone good to play off, which was Tom Arnold. And then he had James Cameron, which I yes. still miss to this day in this franchise. I had to look one thing up from this, though. When they leave J.K. Simmons behind on a roof, sadly never to be seen again, the helicopter Kyle's piloting falls off the building sideways. And I'm like, helicopters cannot recover from that. No, it turns out they can. They can? They can. Helicopters can fly any which way. I really always thought that the way helicopters flew was by having the blades up top and using lift. But apparently modern helicopters can do sideways. They can do backwards. That was a badass helicopter chase scene, mostly because of the sheer drop off the side of the building and all the maneuvers, and it was just fantastic. But I always view, I'm surprised that it could actually do that because I've always viewed helicopters as like the little dainty relics of the aircraft world. Now, I'm not sure helicopters, like medevac helicopters that would be sitting on top of a hospital can do it. Well, they crash all the time anyway. And I'm not sure it can do every maneuver, but helicopters can fly sideways, which was my biggest gripe. I assumed that this was proving that Kyle was not as good a pilot as he claimed, because he's the one flying. He's like, oh yeah, I can do this. But keep in mind, all he's ever done is fight machines. Why would he know how to fly one? Maybe they have helicopters in the future? I think he did a good piloting job. I mean, he did escape and he did come up with the tactic for how to stop John's chasing helicopter. So lucky that there were two helicopters up there. But they also get back to the original. When we were talking about Terminator 3, I mentioned how every time Arnold says he'll be back, he then crashes into something. Here, in the helicopter, he says, I'll be back, and then uses himself as a semi-human torpedo to crash into the other chopper. And this is where I also noticed that Terminator theme that I always found so ominous, the ba-da-bum-ba-dum, ba-da-bum-ba-dum, is no longer like the ominous theme from the future. It's become like the Mission Impossible or James Bond theme when Arnold's going to do something super heroic, they break it out. Yeah, they rarely use the old score. I was surprised about that. With something so drenched in nostalgia, I thought they would be playing the theme at all the key points. But I only noticed it a couple times here, uh, earlier in the hospital reunion when John comes in to Sarah and, and Reese after they've gotten stitched up. They did it a little bit softly. But yeah, they don't overplay the theme. I actually liked the music in this movie, the new stuff being done. I have to say, I don't really know Lorne Balfe 
or Balfi. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I looked him up. He's done mostly video games, but I thought this was a good score here. And I'm so glad they got him instead of Michael Giacchino, who seems to be doing everything now and I don't like him. But finally, we're at Cyberdyne, and we're going to be at the climax of this and trying to blow up Genesis slash Skynet while being taunted by a childlike hologram and John Connor stopping them at every turn. I do have to laugh. I, I thought it was really clever. I think what I caught, it's just a throwaway line of dialogue, but what Pops has been doing all the years that he was waiting for the two to get to 2017 was being on the construction crew of this campus. So he actually has the wherewithal on how to get around and he's built a bomb shelter inside of it. Okay, he built the bomb shelter. Yeah. That explains one of my big problems. I didn't realize that. I honestly thought this was a joke about his own governorship because he says he was laid off. I was wondering if it was talking about how Governor Arnold tanked the California economy. I, you know, I think that Arnold is cool with laughing about his age and anything you might want to say about what he's done in the past. He seems to have, like you said, Marjorie, it just feels like he doesn't care anymore. And so, you know, he, he lets the comedy on his reputation play out. But yeah, I mean, I, the point is, not only is it another opportunity for Arnold to, to be funny, and, and he's funnier saying this than bite me, but it also reminds you that, yeah, he had a lot of time waiting for them around. What would he be doing? Well, he would be building this campus. He would be always plotting on how to best help out with their ultimate plot. I don't feel like Kyle really gets his best moment here. I keep waiting for him to get redeemed, but he's basically shooting projectors as this <laughs> child is growing into Matt Smith. And the, and the countdown is jumping for reasons that must excite the people that are buying it, but would perplex, I would think, the employees who are nowhere to be seen on the eve of the launch of their big product. Yeah, for pre-launch day, I would expect that there would be like a busy hive going on at Cyberdyne Industries and reporters and mm, definitely and everything, but like their five buildings are a virtual ghost town and there's no one there. There's one security guard and John Connor kills it. There are a few other security guard bodies that are seen when Sarah, Kyle, and Pops show up. So he killed every security guard on duty. <laughs> Wouldn't they have more? I mean, that's a really big campus. I imagine if we try to go to Apple, there's like thousands and thousands of them probably. But if I was a T-3000 like John, I could probably kill them all. That's true. And could. impersonate the other one and then kill the next yeah. one. And it's PG-13 and we don't want to see mass deaths. And I don't know. Did you guys feel a PG-13 drop? I feel like the last couple have been PG-13. So it wasn't a big deal. Only this and Salvation have been PG-13. And you know what? I only felt it in the moment where John Connor had blood around him, but when he was shot, we didn't see blood fly out. That was the only moment where I felt they pulled back the rest of it. I guess I've just been seeing too much PG-13 action because this mm. felt fine. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice anything, and I don't know necessarily that the Terminators are known for, like, overly gory I think that maybe the others, because at one time these were considered scary and pretty violent. And I, this one, I guess, wasn't as violent, though, if you go back and think about it. It was all Terminator on Terminator yeah, action, which, which is more acceptable. Like, 
It's like Transformers. Robots can fight. You just can't kill a lot of humans. I want to live in the day where we don't accept this robot on robot violence anymore. <laughs> Rock'em Sock'em Robots is seen as some kind of Jim Crow thing of the past. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we might get there or we might all be nanobots. I don't know. That's what they're fighting over here in the climax. And the fight belongs exclusively to Arnold. Pops is going to get his last stand here. I feel like the other two, I don't know. Sarah has this weird moment where she's grabbed by her son or John Connor. It's She's not calling it her son. He appears to stick her with nanobots. Yes. No, no. It's a callback to Terminator two where Robert Patrick made a, a projectile and like a knife on his finger and skewered her into the shoulder and forced her to call John. Sure, I remember that. I mean, we all remember Terminator 2. That's what they were doing? Yeah. He specifically says he can't kill her because Pops has the detonator. Pops is programmed to protect Sarah Connor, so he can't blow the detonator. And if John kills Sarah, then Pops will immediately hit that button. And blow up Skynet and John. Okay. I did not understand this uh, standoff with the detonator and who could hit the button and who couldn't. I didn't. Yeah, not- it's because Pops could not let Sarah die. So basically, the Terminator couldn't kill Sarah because Pops had the detonator. And if Sarah was dead, Pops could blow the detonator. Okay. So that was the standoff. And then they hand it to Reese. And what does that do? Well, Reese isn't programmed that way, and he understands that for the sake of humanity, they all have to die. Reese supposedly, or at least John Connor thinks Reese was going to push that button, and so then he has to leap away from Sarah and stop Reese from hitting it. Uh, Okay, all right. You explaining it that way makes sense. Watching the movie, I didn't know what was going on. I literally thought she was having done to her what Connor was having done to him, at the start of the movie at the time traveling device. So I'm no. like, oh, great. Now that she's going to have the nanobots in her. That would have been a cool way to go. But when we saw the flashback of John getting taken over, it was such a visual effect where his entire skin was turning black and then back human. And every time he did anything nano-ish, you'd see like this ripple digital pixelated effect. It, all right. It honestly looks like the upcoming Adam Sandler film Pixels. <laughs> and... <laughs> that kind of effect. And when he was stabbing her, it was just a single solid object. So I'm not going to say they won't pull it out of the future that he planted one nanobot inside of her that replicated, but I don't think that was the intent here. So question, we could talk about the fight. I don't have much to say about it, but at the same time, Genesis is about to be born. What's Genesis going to do? Is that the launching of the nukes? Are they still on that? Or are they going to do what Connor is hoping, have some kind of nanobot future where we're all linked together as as one hybrid? I was really confused, but obviously, I mean, at this point, Genesis is self-aware, like Skynet was. And when it launches, it's going to link all our devices, as well as the Department of Defense, into this yeah. one giant server farm kind of thing. So I took it as that was the first step that when everything goes live... And Genesis has evolved at that point, almost into an adult, that he realizes, or it, that we are screwed and he needs to take over for the betterment of humankind. And that's when the nukes start flying. So basically, it's going to do what it always did. It's going to launch nukes. Well, that's not what they say this time. It's very nebulous. But right now, supposedly, Genesis is self-contained in this data center. And when it goes live... It will then be everywhere. It's like the end of the lawnmower man. Mm -hmm. If it can get out on the internet, you can't ever kill it. So if you blow up this 
complex after it goes live, it's in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And so it may not launch the nukes immediately, but nothing you ever do short of destroying every internet connected device on the globe will stop it. Now, I would think for something this big, they'd also have a data center, say in China, that's preparing for launch as well. I think having a single point of failure. Again, iCloud doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, for the sake of this movie, and who knows, maybe over in China, there's a different version of these people that have come from a, a time. I, we could write it, maybe there's a Chinese Terminator, you know, <laughs> kind of like they did with uh, Iron Man 3 having its own scenes. Maybe they need that to help this movie make some money. <laughs> they could. So there's no nukes? I don't know if there's nukes, but what happens at this go live is Skynet is everywhere. Would it immediately launch the nukes like it did in 97? I honestly don't know that, but based upon what John Connor is saying, I think it could go either way. Keep in mind the nukes didn't kill all of humanity. Three billion people were killed. That's acceptable losses to Skynet, as that leaves five billion that they could turn into nanobots. I see. Yes, because that that is the disconnect, is they're not shooting for annihilation anymore. They're shooting for assimilation. So that could be what's going to happen with Genesis. I think Skynet and John Connor both have the same mission, survival. They don't care whether or not they wipe out the humans, but Skynet died in 2029. But this other Skynet showed up, it wants to live. And so that's what it's fighting for. I don't know if it's going to launch the nukes, but it wants to live. And Sarah and John and Pops want to kill it. Right. But I don't find this frightening at all. Because what got you in one and two was the nukes. And that is still scary. And maybe it's the time we grew up because we grew up at the very tail end of the Cold War schools we had bomb drills when i was a little girl because getting on your knees and putting your hands over your head saves you from a nuke. totally i assume it still does but you're right marjorie that threat that we lived under doesn't play to millennials and no. that's the audience they're going for here it's scarier that they wouldn't be able to access their itunes <laughs> yeah i mean that that's how skynet can fight back now in 2017 is Wi-Fi's gone. There's no internet, guys. Yeah. I mean, that is actually, that would ruin my day. But I guess uh, calling that an apocalypse is certainly <laughs> uh, an overstatement, you know, in comparison to, to what we grew up with. You know, yes, the thought that we could all be vaporized the day after. I agree. It's They're trying to say this is the same thing as it always is, but the threat feels less ominous. And Arnold certainly isn't in the shape that he used to. I Give him all the liquid metal you want to. I just, I don't think... I think I want to see any more action scenes with him fighting anybody. Yeah, compare, you know, what we've got going on with nanobots and what was it, the poly that they were using that they're dipping and trying to make human forms in the core yeah, I just, by the, the servers. The T-1000 metal. Yeah, but they weren't, they didn't quite have it able to bind. None of that was just like as frightening as those opening scenes and the flashbacks that Sarah Connor was having with, you know, the nuclear war, the devastation, the scene on the playground. Even though I was almost an adult, I was 16 when this movie came out and that resonated with me and this made me scary. This here, I'm just like, all right, so they've got iCloud and it may control them later. All right, move on. I again think that we'll see in the future because there's that mid credit stinger. They don't succeed. They blow everything up. And, you know, you talk about millennial fears. 
depending on their age, I don't think they think about 9-11 the way people who are adults when it happened do. But I was surprised that they bring down all five of those buildings in a very 9-11 crash manner. And that's the heroes doing it. But we find out Skynet lives on. There's some big molecule looking thing that glows red, so it must be evil. And a hologram is looking up at it. Is that Skynet? Is Skynet an acolyte of the big red molecule? I think what its plan is, it's a disappointing thing. And I am frustrated when they do this, but they're teasing us, hoping that we're going to demand another movie. Yeah, I I get that that's the way that Hollywood works now, is that it's just cost prohibitive to think about telling a complete story in one movie you need to have franchises and we are watching big screen tv is basically what it means we we will never know everything within one movie again and yet there still is this last scene even though these three john sarah and kyle john says they're marooned and so that's why he can kill them is because he's marooned in time even though they're marooned kyle thinks he still has to go to 12 year old him and say the thing he remembers saying into the mirror time and time again, so that future him will remember it. It's it's confusing as to what stance they're taking on time. Maybe these three just don't fucking know, so they're covering their bases. I actually thought Sarah was going there to sleep with the 13-year-old. Oh, God! As preferable to the 25-year-old. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Kyle has been dissed this whole movie, and this is the ultimate diss. But no, she just basically does this hand gesture thing that they've threaded throughout the movie that I never thought was that meaningful. But uh, yeah, they're tying up loose ends and, and sending them down the road yet again. But did we go down the road with them? Marjorie Stewart. Do you recommend Terminator Genesis? Marjorie. I have a huge love for one and two. Three and four, they existed. They're okay. But I don't think they added anything to one and two. One and two are phenomenal. Two is absolutely amazing and just like great movie. I think you can take Genesis and just kind of wipe the slate clean of three and four. I recommend it because it's it's funnish in parts. It's kind of explains how they're going to go forward if there's other movies, the time travel. Because there's time travel aspect, you can go and basically rewrite the movie. So I'm going to give it a recommend. I, I think it's still good. I love Arnold as an action hero. He didn't do much action in this, but he's still kind of funny, still kind of good. I, I grew up with Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, so I've always got a soft spot in my heart for him. Stuart. Yeah, you know, Terminator Genesis, at best, it is a paint job on a very durable, always engaging sci-fi universe. That what Cameron built is a very well-oiled machine and they're just spending $150 million to replace some of the parts. I'm not sure that those parts are going to last very long. You know, like many things, uh, what they used to do in the past, it's not as well made nowadays. It's not meant to uh, carry on. It's not meant to be as good as those first two movies, Marjorie. I mean, they should be building a house, right? They should be building a house and they're rearranging furniture. This is just moving things you know into a different place, painting it. I think the paint choices are a little tacky, quite frankly. There's a lot about this movie. I didn't like the casting. I didn't like the referencing. I didn't really have all that much fun. 
But at the same time, I'm encouraged about what they're setting themselves up for. It does look different. It does look like it could be an original sci-fi concept again. I'm caught in the middle, much like this movie, between being loyal to the original and sticking with those and saying you don't need to see three, four, and five, and feeling like, yeah, maybe this could yet again eventually find its footing. I'm, I'm right on that precipice, but ultimately, when I thought about it, I just didn't have much fun with this movie. I, I just think it's another example of machines eradicating humanity from a story. I, I did not have feeling for these people. And I always did in Terminator 1 and 2. I could forgive this movie a lot of things. And it's not garbage. Believe me, I came into this with the lowest of expectations. I thought it would be trash. It's not trash. But it's not a recommend. It's a mild not recommend. I just didn't feel anything. And so I, I can endorse. I can't argue with anything you're saying, Stuart. I agree completely that the casting isn't the best. I came around on Courtney, and I came around on Amelia Clark, and I guess I even came around a little bit on Jason Clark as a Terminator. But I really liked Arnold in this movie. I liked his smile. I liked his levity. I thought he pulled off the action pretty well, too. A lot of it was CGI, but only one part, the T-800 versus T-800 fight, looked shoddy. I'll easily say, and I think we're all saying this, this is the best Terminator film since T-2. Stuart, I mean, do you think this is above T-3? It's close. But, you know, I didn't dislike T3. I never really gave a verdict on it. That when I when we did the podcast, I always like, well, I'll tell you after four. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with that. Yes. The order is two, one, five, three, four. Yeah. When I went back and you and I discussed putting arrows on the site, you gave Terminator 3 a down arrow. So. Did I? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, both of these are a coin flip. I think it's, I think it's fair to say that one and two are of the same piece and three and five are of the same piece. And however you feel about those, you'll probably feel about its counterpoint. Four skip. Just four is unnecessary. Yeah, I agree. I came out of this movie thinking it's Terminator 3-ish in quality. Yeah. When I saw it the second time, I go, it's better than Terminator 3. It has more intriguing concepts. It doesn't have Claire Danes as a veterinary assistant, savior of the future. <laughs> that might have been one of the assets. I'm not even sure. So it's, I think, the third best Terminator film. And I think where we differ, Stuart, is you weren't having fun. The first hour of this film, when it went back and did the Back to the Future 2 type thing in 1984, I was having a hell of a lot of fun. And I went with the rest of the movie, though I found once they got to 2017, there was a lot less fun to be had. I'm giving this a solid recommend, though. I don't understand the venomous hate for this film. I could get that if you're a T1, T2 purist, you may not like it. Yeah. But the onslaught of venom and hate online, I'm like, it's not that bad, guys. And if you just kind of go with it and accept that they had to reboot Mission Impossible, they had to reboot Star Trek, and... They did this, and it all kept in somewhat continuity in some way with what came before, but opened it up for new stories. That's a good thing. I think that the biggest mistake the Terminator franchise ever pulled was showing us Armageddon. This franchise works best when you're trying to stop Armageddon. When T3 ended with the end of the world and T4 continued that, we got away from the 
optimistic view of T1 and T2. Now we're back at that. We're back fighting the future, as the X-Files would say. So yeah, this is a recommend. And yeah, I want to see it continue. I want these people to continue on to the next one. Hmm. Well, I'm not opposed. I guess that's the biggest compliment I can give it is, even though this is a mile not recommend, I could see recommending the next one because I think they're set up, like I said, there were ideas that were teased that are compelling here and they just need to make that nanobot guy scary and they'll have my heart. And everything is in flux. I mean, the example I gave Marjorie after we left the theater is when we came out of Amazing Spider-Man 2, they were promising Amazing Spider-Man 3 plus Venom plus the Sinister Six movie. Everything can change. But right now, Paramount has put on the release calendars Terminator 6 in May of 2017 and Terminator 7 in June of 18, because theoretically in 2019, 35 years after the original, Cameron may get the rights back. Oh, that's interesting. And you think Cameron would stop this? I mean, he, he's all over the advertising of this movie saying, you'll love it. Go see it. It's not what I think. I'm telling you what the producers think. Yeah. They want to make the money. They don't care. Maybe that's all it is. It's like Cameron will take our profits. We don't think he'll stop us from making more, but he won't let us have as much money and profit. Yeah. He did endorse this, but... As you pointed out, Stuart, he also endorsed Alien versus Predator. So. Yeah, that was the third best Alien movie in his mind. So I went into this movie thinking, okay, this is going to be AVP. It's not. I agree with you, Arnie. I think people are too harsh, and I think some of that harshness comes from just saying, hey, we're throwing away everything you know. And then I think some of it is the execution as well. The really bad acting. Well, I want to thank you, Stuart and Marjorie, for coming back to continue our Terminator retrospective. And for any listeners who may have felt like they time-traveled from us in 2009 to us in 2015, welcome back. I thank you for joining us. And as I did in our last Terminator podcast, I will just say, if you want to listen to our previous retrospective series of Friday the 13th, Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, Saw, Back to the Future, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Karate Kid, Predator, X-Files, Lost Boys, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Rambo, Tron, Black Christmas, the Philip K. Dick movies, every movie based on a Marvel comic, Scream, Transformers, Fantastic Four, Final Destination, Fright Night, Blade, Human Centipede, Punisher, Rocky, Captain America, Incredible Hulk, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, James Bond, Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I skipped that one. <laughs> I noticed. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Die Hard. G.I. Joe. Red. The Riddick Films. The Insidious Series. The House of a Thousand Corpses Series. Carrie. Firestarter. Robocop. Gremlins. The Mangler. Sometimes they come back. <laughs> Sometimes they flee. X-Men. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Children of the Corn. All the films by Christopher Nolan, the Before Trilogy, the Fast and the Furious films, and the Mission Impossible films. You can find them all at nowplayingpodcast.com. And also, for those of you who stuck through that list, we have a contest. We are going to be giving away a couple of Terminator items. I got two of the Terminator Genesis posters that were being given away for seeing it in 3D, and... Thanks to Loot Crate, I have a T-800 replica skull 
and a T-800 replica memory chip like seen in Terminator Genesis. However, you will not be getting his Amelia Clark statue anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. We're giving away stuff. And what do they have to do to get it? Come to our forums and let us know if you would recommend Terminator Genesis. You have to post in the show announcement thread about Terminator Genesis and just say whether or not you'd recommend it and give us the reasons why. And in addition, you have to have made at least five posts total in our forums. If you haven't made five posts yet, you can go make four other posts to qualify for this contest. And you have until July 17th, 2015 to do this. And the winners will be announced on our Ant-Man show. There will be two winners. First place gets the Terminator skull and a poster. Second place gets the Terminator memory chip and a poster. And so we'll announce that on our review of Ant-Man. And then you have until July 31st to contact us and claim your prize. Any unclaimed prizes will be held back until they make another Terminator film. <laughs> well, that's cool. I, good luck, guys. I, I hope to see you there in the forums. Yeah, I love talking to our listeners on Facebook and on Twitter. But for in-depth movie conversation, and we did have some good conversation going on about last week's review of Mission Impossible, too. I think the forums are the best place for full, deep analysis. So head to the forums. It costs nothing to make an account. There's a link to the forums at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. And also next week, we resume our Mission Impossible franchise with a review of Mission Impossible 3. That's on the main feed. And just to let you guys know about our donation drive, we are in the final weeks of our spring 2015 donation drive where you can hear our reviews of the Indiana Jones films the Jurassic Park films, the Poltergeist films, and a few one-offs like Goonies and Westworld and Future World. These are all available depending on your level of donation to our show. This show has no ads. We have gone six years without any ads. That's actually incredible for any podcast. Take a look out there at how many podcasts go six years and then how many do it without ads. We're able to do it because of listeners like you. Otherwise, our review of Terminator Genesis would be in some alternate timeline that you'd never be able to hear because our show wouldn't be going on. So if you head to nowplayingpodcast.com, there's a banner at the top and you find out how to donate and support our show. And as our thank you, a reward for donation is all those podcasts. We're not selling the podcast. These are like the PBS t-shirts and duffel bags. This is our way of saying thank you for supporting our show. If you donate $10 or more, you get the Indiana Jones retrospective plus Goonies. If you donate $25 or more, you get all those shows plus the Jurassic Park retrospective series and Future World and Westworld. And if you do $35 or more, you get everything I've listed so far plus our reviews of all four Poltergeist films. But they're only available until July 31st at nowplayingpodcast.com. And one final announcement before we get to Ant-Man this weekend is San Diego Comic-Con, where I'm sure the ant will loom large. He is on the banners in San Diego in the Gaslamp District. Well, we're going to be in the Gaslamp District having a podcast listener meetup on Saturday night at 8 o'clock at the Yard House in the Gaslamp District. I love that place. They have like a gazillion beers on tap. We're going to be downstairs in the bar area starting around 8. So anyone going to the con, any listener who's in the San Diego area would like to meet Marjorie, me, as well as Jason, who posts on our Facebook page and writes for the Gazette, Justin and Jeff from Marvelicious Toys, and Barrett and Jay, who work on Star Wars Action News. We're all going to be there. We're all going to be drinking. It's going to be really casual. 
So feel free to stop by. Look for us there. Follow us on Twitter and maybe you'll catch us. And if you don't find us, tweet to us and we'll tell you where we're at. So again, Stuart, Marjorie, thank you for joining me. You bet. And we'll be back. Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Look Back at the Terminator movie series. The future is not set. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves. Join us each week for another new movie review podcast. I've been waiting for you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production and not affiliated with the Halcyon Company, Paramount Pictures, Skydance Productions, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. This is great stuff. I could make a career out of this guy. You see how clever this part is? How it doesn't require a shred of proof? Until next time. Hasta la vista, baby. And uh, just to remind everyone, Marjorie goes second in the introductions. Okay. I'm glad everybody now knows that, because I didn't. I didn't either. I, I went back and re-listened to the old shows. I did too, but I didn't, not with the ear you did. Well, yeah, I was listening for two reasons. One, what did we say? And two, how did we do it? Okay. <clears throat> this is the now playing co-host whose mother encouraged his smart-acidness, Arnie. I want to be sedated and steward in L.A. You're last, remember? We just oh, talked shit. about this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm never last. I'm always middle. <laughs> Go ahead. And then you also get, what's his name, who I always confuse with a uh, country singer, um, played Bones. Oh, uh, Keith Urban or Carl Urban? Carl. Yeah, Carl. Yes, that's why I get confused. <laughs> There's two G.I. Joe people here. Him and Channing. Oh, that's not Channing. <laughs> Do you just have Channing Tatum on the brain? I, I think this guy is like, you've seen Multiplicity where they clone Michael Keaton. Yeah. This is like the fourth Michael Keaton of Channing Tatum. The the one that I like pizza. <laughs> okay. I don't even, I haven't even seen that movie and I agree with you, Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I think you're right. <laughs> And this is probably the only time in the history of now playing and in the future of now playing that Tom Arnold's going to get a shout out for being a good actor. <laughs> Unless we do a True Lies retrospective. I hear they might actually do a sequel. With the same actors? No, no. Oh, boy. They need to stop. <laughs> Arnold's got to eat. <laughs> he has got more money than God. He, he married a Kennedy. Uh, I think they're going to all of his kids and ex-wives. Well, he married a Kennedy, screwed the maid, and was governor... I don't think he has any fucks to give at this point. Only four, and this one have been TG-13. PG, not TG. 
I'm, I'm in the Terminator mode. Yeah. <laughs> it's the new model, the TG-13. TG, yes. I will kidify everything. <laughs> I came around on Courtney, and I came around on Amelia Clark. How many times did you come around Amelia Clark? <laughs> Yeah, guess what he's going to be TiVoing now? <laughs> Game of Thrones. I bet there's going to be a real marathon tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not like you to make that kind of joke, Stuart. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm glad I could still surprise. 